What's happening, everybody? My name is Sean Pitcher. This is the Roots Podcast. Today we have on Matthew Pitcher, um, who is my brother. Um, he is a licensed master's social worker. Did I get that correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay, awesome. Um, you know, being that this foundation of this is Roots, this is part of my Roots. This is my brother. Um, even though he is not directly in athletics, I think some of the skills that he provides, you know, with the clients that he works with, um, are very valuable to anyone that essentially work or anyone that is in athletics or works with athletes and sports in general. Um, I think a lot of us probably do some of the things we're going to talk about today, regardless if we're thinking about them or not, or if we know the exact definition or if we know the research. Um, but that's something we're definitely going to dive into a lot more. So I'm super excited to, to have you on. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be on. I'm glad to be a part of this. So... <clears throat> First question I want to ask before we start diving into some of those topics is obviously I know who you are as a person, but the viewers don't know who you are. Can you give us who Matt Pitcher is? Dig into that a little bit for us. Yeah. Well, what a great question. Um, who is someone, right? It's, there's a lot to be said. I mean, I, I think I share a similar story with yours, of course. Um, I know I listened to your first episode and you told a lot, a lot about your background, but very similar. Um, grew up in Endicott, right? went to UE. Um, I guess a little bit about myself and maybe about why I chose to be a social worker. Um, I know you mentioned our parents and, and having, uh, having more empathy for people who have mental health, uh, or have mental health diagnoses. I think that having grown up with a parent who has bipolar, um, helped me a lot learn empathy for others and and break, broke the stigma down of mental health for me a lot and helped me realize that there's a lot of people out there who are struggling with mental health um, that we can help change or help help people uh, in understanding what they're going through. So I decided to go to a field uh, such as social work to help other people and, you know, almost help myself in, in, in my relationship with my own parents or with other people um, to be the best person I can be. So... You know, I think from that understanding, it definitely helps you understand more, you know, with, with, our, with our own mother's, um, you know, bipolar that she deals with every single day, be able to understand a little bit more what they're going through. We're never going to be able to be in their shoes, go what they're going through. We're never going to be able to have the same symptoms that they have. Um, but I think at least being there, listening, you know, understanding to the best of our ability is in a lot of cases, it's just what they want. You know, they don't want solutions. They don't want you to be telling them what to do. You know, they just want someone to open their ears, talk to them for about 15, 20 minutes, shoot them a quick text um, and, and just be heard for, for a second. Cause sometimes, especially if you look at athletes, right. A lot of times the backgrounds and environment they come from, they may have never been heard, right. It's push right. things away, push stuff back, you know, be tough, you know, just figure it out, get over it. And, and a lot of times, like, in the long run, in the long term, that doesn't always make things better. It, it, it can make it worse, and then you just fall into the same loop over and over um, because that's all you know. And if a, a situation comes up where you have the opportunity to talk, you're like, oh, well, people just told me to just get over it, and, and I'll be fine. But yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure you see on a regular basis that that doesn't work out. And Right. And, I mean, there's a, a I feel like a big stigma in mental health, especially with more – uh, I, I can imagine in athletics, especially where you're kind of supposed to have this role of being um, really great and powerful and 
strong and, you know, with, with mental health, unlike, you know, like a physical injury, perhaps, you know, you can see someone with a broken arm and it's casted and you can say, oh, I, I can see that, you know, your arm is broken, but with mental health, you can't always see the person and knowing that they're struggling internally. So it's not oftentimes until you ask those questions, hey man, how are you doing? And it's not just, I'm okay or I'm fine. You're like, no, really tell me what's going on. Like, I, I, I wanna hear, you know, how, like, how you're really doing. You try to get down to more of the deeper end of the uh, person's psyche. And, that, and that's something I would do on a regular basis. You know, anywhere I've been is just look, look beyond that answer, right? Because everybody gives the general answer, the okays, the fines, I'm the, the goods, I'm greats, right? Um, but based off your body language, you're telling me something a lot different. Yeah. You know, so that's where sometimes you got to pull those people to the side, have a conversation, but also know the environment you're in. Like, is this the right place to pull them to the side? Do I need to have a do I need to shoot him a text after the lift or, or the training session? You know, is it something of a concern? I need to bring in another staff member. So we both have a conversation with them because somebody else has a better relationship with them. Um, Cause I mean, that, that's one of the things I used to do, right? Like I used to get so tired of hearing people like, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm fine. Like over and over and over and over. Right. I, I actually started to do, I called it a wow. I started doing a word of the week with, yeah. with one of my coworkers at my previous position I was at just to kind of throw in a different word to make, to make it different. Like, Oh, I'm marvelous today. Or like, I'm fantastic. Or, or I'm super duper. Right. And, and it's stuff like that. That's different. And it throws people off a little bit, but they're like, okay, he's like, he's trying to make it funny. He's trying to like, give me something that's outside the norm. And he's trying to like, really be a real person and not just a robot. <laughs> yeah. I almost become more of a conversation starter. You know, when someone says I'm fine, it's like a conversation ender. Like, oh, you're fine. All right. I guess there's nothing to be said then, right? Yeah. Or if you say so crazy, we're like, I'm, I'm spendiferous. They're like, they stop in there. I mean, you go say this to somebody at your work right now, anybody who's listening to this, and they're going to look at you and stop in their tracks and say, wait, did you just say what? And then all of a sudden, it's like you got them hooked. Because <laughs> there was something they're just not used to. I mean, you, you go through life or you go through the halls or you go on the fields and it's just like you know it becomes so automatic in a lot of senses that you need to throw out those questions your those those different sayings to kind of break up the monotony um because it just becomes like the same stuff over and over and over absolutely so i know one of the big topics you wanted to talk about today um specifically was you know motivational interviewing which i think any of us in this case have used could used or again, it could be something that, again, someone on this could now learn about to, to try to incorporate um, into their practice as a practitioner. Can you just kind of explain to us, like, what, what is that? What is motivational interviewing? Sure. So um, I, I first learned about motivational interviewing um, within one of my first in, internships when I was in my MSW program. Um, I was interning at a, a methadone clinic, what they consider a medicated assisted treatment. Um, people who suffer from addiction, who are in need of uh, a substitute for opioid addiction. And I had a great mentor who told me about motivational interviewing. And it was, it's a evidence-based practice. Um, there's actually thousands of studies that have supported its efficacy in that it is an effective practice and helps people actually uh, change. It's all based on uh, the motivation to help people change, basically. So um while originally it was founded to help people change with an addiction, um, they found that it's actually been helpful as well in other professions and other 
um, settings such as healthcare. And even recently, I know a lot of people have been talking about it within the sports field and how we can help athletes um, find the motivation to change. So I thought, you know, um, I'm using this in my practice. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help people promote, promote change and, and, and harness motivation to, to make change for the better. Um, how I can't, you know, athletes use this as well. You know, I thought about you immediately and was like, uh, I'm sure you have times where you find resistance in athletes or maybe people are kind of ambivalent. They're on the fence. Like, you know, I kind of want to do this, but, you know, I don't really want to change this. And you have to ask these specific questions to try to harness this motivation to change and how can we promote people to move in the right direction. Um, and the approach of motivational interviewing takes from an earlier uh, clinical individual, uh, Carl Rogers, who, who founded person-centered person therapy, person-centered approach, which is all about you know, empathy and open questions and unconditional positive regard, really building rapport with people and, and, and being an ally to them and, and understanding their uh, struggles and helping them change. So that's kind of a little bit about motivational interviewing and what it's about. You mentioned open-ended questions. Like, do you do you feel those are a lot more optimal because versus like a closed-ended question? Like, obviously, closed-ended, you're going to get a quick kind of decisive answer. Whereas an open-ended, it it can really go in multiple directions. But what maybe like the you know the pluses and, and minuses regarding those two different types of how you ask something to try to get it try to get an answer from somebody. Sure. If, if I feel like if you're really trying to build a relationship with someone and looking to find or help people move in the right direction. Open-ended questions are going to be the right direction to go to. You know, you think of closed-ended questions, it's usually just a yes or a no. So when you're asking open-ended questions, it's, it's kind of exploratory. You're exploring more in depth about, you know, how might they be thinking about this particular thing or, you know, tell me about this belief and how you, how you, how you have this belief and, you know, what are some of the things that led you to have this belief um, and gives you more of a broad approach so that you can, continue a conversation, you know, mm. uh, even with a basic conversation like this, you know, you ask an open-ended question, you're going to hear a lot more, but if you just ask something that's a yes or no, it, it's almost like the conversation's ready to end. Yeah. It's like, do you like more motivational interviewing? Yes. And it's like, it's, it's cut off. It's done. It's like, all right, well, can you expand this? Oh, can you do, can you do this? Can you do that? It's like, all right, well now there's going to be three, four questions derived off of that. And now you just start getting the person to open up a little more to hopefully give you the information that you need to, assist or help them depending on what the concern is yeah absolutely could could you give us an um you know an example of how you you've possibly used this currently or in the past with motivational interviewing just just so maybe someone can kind of get a a visual idea in their head like if they're walk if you're walking up to somebody right now or you had a client that you're walking up to and you knew you're going to use this tactic like can you give us an example like how what would that look like or how would you approach them Sure. So motivational interviewing, I think it's something that's always kind of like it's playing in the background as I'm talking to someone. Um, in my field, working in addictions, I work in an inpatient setting. Uh, so people who are there for inpatient treatment, usually anywhere between 14 and 28 days, um, you're really getting people at the sometimes the lowest point in their addiction. And uh, some people may still be kind of ambivalent about their willingness to change with their drug use. So, you know, you may have someone who's Kind of on the fence with, with their willingness to change so you may start by asking like well, well tell me a little bit about you know 
some of the reasons why you do want to change and tell me some of the reasons why you kind of want to remain the same. And you can explore their own thoughts on how, you know, what, what, what is called a motivation interview is like change talk. So you're always trying to promote change talk um, and leaning them towards the, the, the area where you want to promote the area of change. So sobriety is usually always the area that you're trying to move towards people to an addiction. Um, for example, maybe with athletes, you know, if, if you're wanting to help someone have a better sleep schedule, right? Um, get eight, eight hours of sleep. There's a bunch of great research that shows that eight hours is, is usually a good or optimal amount. And if someone's like coming to you and, you know, coach, I'm only getting four hours. Um, I'm feeling really sluggish. And you're like, okay, well, tell me more about that. And do you want to get someone to the optimal area of eight hours? You know, tell me a time when you felt your best. Tell me a time when, you know, you felt like you weren't tired. And they may tell you, oh, yeah, that night I, I think I slept around eight hours or I actually had a good night rest at that point. And you can kind of affirm that, well, like, that sounds like when you get out eight hours, you feel at your best. Um, and guide, guide people towards their own, th their own answer. Because a lot of people have the knowledge within them and they know, they know what they need to do to change. It's just a matter of put, like slightly pushing people in the right direction and not, and rather not than telling them what to do, but just rather just slightly giving these little pushes or guidance towards the right direction. Do, do you feel they, they don't do it because of their environment or their past behaviors or like what's, if, if they know it already, then what's essentially, and again, I, I know the answer to this, but, but what's, what's causing them to not want to make the right choice? If, if they already had the background information, they know it, they could be a really intelligent, high level individual, you know, what causes people to not take that step on a consistent basis? I, I think people get pretty comfortable doing the same thing. You know, um, we're creatures of habit. We like doing the same thing. Once we find ourselves in a comfortable habit, any slight amount of change, there's usually some form of resistance, you know? Um, I think anyone has ever wanted to change, you know, a lot of people say, I want to start exercising. Those first two, three days when they start exercising, you know, they're putting in work and it's hard and they're struggling and they're like, I don't like this. This sucks, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but hey, prolonged change, right? You're going to be getting a better outcome than what you want. But that, that initial part of change is the hardest part. So um, a lot of people will put up resistance or have the ambivalence to that because that initial stage of change is so difficult for people. And, and I, I mean, I could tell you any place I've been, I mean, I've, I've come across that on multiple occasions. You, you almost have, I mean, there's, there's almost like different levels of athletes. You have some that are kind of a hundred percent going to do it. A hundred percent, not going to do it. You got some athletes that may take them, you know, I'll do anything you tell me to do and they'll, they'll do it all in a week. And then I've had some where it could be months, six months, a year before they start coming around and, and actually feeling like it's, it's necessary. And it's funny though, because a lot of times it's almost like high school, like when guys are getting close to going to college and playing or you know when they get towards the end of college and they might have the opportunity to go to the pros it's like all of a sudden it becomes i don't have a lot of time left and now i have to take it seriously and now i have to to do something about it and i'm sure a lot of coaches that listen to this are always like well if you did something about it the last three or four years you could be so far ahead in such a better position you know and it's, but we can't take back time it, it is what it is but how do you how would you say how do you get ahead of it earlier on 
instead of having guys wait to the last minute. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of the the, the toughest part in, in in approaching that. I think education is usually your best bet. Um, you know, educating people on on the benefits of change, uh, and a lot of it. You know, if you have a great rapport with with the client or with the athlete, right? Um, and you know you can have a real serious talk with them. You know, sometimes you can start buying them uh, promoting that change talk or that that willingness to start making some changes. Uh, in the early stages, you know, there may be some ambivalence even working with someone within psychology. I know we we're just talking about the stigma and and people may not willing to ask for help within that area. Um, if you if you find yourself where you you catch the problem early or catch them. Where, where you want to make the change, start building rapport with that person, start building that relationship so that you can have a serious conversation before it's too late. Yeah, where it may be early in their career and they maybe keep you doing the same thing, but if they trust you, you can have that real conversation and they know it's going to come from a good place rather than they're just saying it to say it to you. Now, one of the things that I know we touched a little bit on before we, we jumped on the call is, you know, you said, you know, make the person feel in control and, and make their own decisions. Now I know in an athletic setting that could be, that can kind of go two ways, right? It could be challenging, right? Like as a coach or as a practitioner, right? To a certain extent, like you need to be in control and you need to give direction because if you don't, right? The athlete may not do the tasks or things that are, are expected of them. So how do you meet in the middle, right? Like I want to make you feel in control and you ultimately have to make your own decisions, but then there's other stressors that I'm getting from other people. It could be a coach. It could be from higher up that are wanting me to get you to do something, but you're not ready for it. And then I'm trying to tell them like, Hey, like you got to give me more time. Well, they got to get to this result. Like right now, like, I don't care what you got to do. And it's like, you just have all these levels of tension between you, the coaches, the upper management, like, I mean, I know you're not directly in athletics, but like looking at that type of scenario, like, how do you, how do you give the athlete control, but then manage all the things around you? I know that's probably, that's probably a tough question on the spot to answer, but. I, I can give you a little insight on that. I think, you know, there, there's a difference between like, you know, for one, like giving people control or what would be called like autonomy, right? Um, someone's ability to make decisions on their own. That's, that's usually what helps people promote change the most. Um, when we, when we look at motivation, there's usually, you can look at it in two ways. There's intrinsic mo intrinsic motivation or internal and extrinsic or external motivation. So internal motivation is, what, is when you're, you're internally motivated, you're, you're coming to the conclusion on your own, your own accord. And then there's the external motivators, which are like, like you said, coach is telling you that you need to do this at this time frame, right? So a lot, in a lot of cases, in, in some of the research that I found, uh, Intrinsic motivation is usually the more beneficial one. It helps people change the most. When when you have a lot of external factors and people are telling you, you have to do this by this time and you don't do this, blah, blah, blah. Like it's, it's, it's a lot harder for people to find the motivation to change when people are telling you from an external point. So when you're, when you're talking with someone and you're trying to promote that change talk, you kind of want to affirm some of the things that they're saying that, that is moving them in what you believe to be the right direction. Um, you don't want to catch yourself in what we call like an expert trap where you're, you're the expert and you're, you're telling them what to do. You, you have to let athletes or people come to their own conclusion about things. And 
like you said, it's it, it's hard, you know, because if, if someone is already going in the wrong direction, how do you reel them back in and say, this is this is where we want you to go? Um, you can educate people and education is usually your best bet, but you don't want to seem like you're enforcing something on them. You know, like I said, you want to have it be intrinsic and allow people to come 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 to conclusions on their own end to help really promote the change. Yeah, I mean, and some of the, the, the toughest things is if you when you try to shove information down somebody when they don't want to learn it during a certain point in time, like you're not going to win them over. Or if all oh. you go and talk, off all you go and talk to them, like if I just go talk about nutrition 24 <laughs> seven or strength coaches go talk about strength and conditioning or sports like says, like, you got to get your mental wellness better. Like you're, you're going to lose them pretty fast. And then you're then to try to get them to now fix their issues. Now they've lost possibly trust in you. And then that I've seen that in a lot of scenarios where that relates over to other places they go. Right. Like if, if I have an athlete has a bad experience with me, well, now they associate nutrition as X, Y, and Z, because that's the only experience they've had. And then now the next place they're going to go, whether it's college or the pros, they have another dietitian. They're probably going to dismiss that, that dietitian because of the one bad experience that I put them in, in that position. So that's why it's like, sometimes we don't think of that big picture, but you have to think about everything you say, everything you do is going to get them to, you know, think about what you do and who they're going to come across that may be similar in, in your profession or as a practitioner and that may negatively affect people elsewhere. So that's why, like, you always got to present yourself as the most professional, always trying to support, always trying to help, and, and, and then do everything you can that the athletes are willing to allow you to let them do, right? And yeah. some athletes that any of the practitioners on here that are listening come across, you're not going to be able to help every single person, right? And some people don't want your help. Some people will want all your help. Um, it just kind of depends on the setting, the situation, and the environment that you're able to kind of foster during the time that you're, you're with them. Yeah. And I, that's actually prompts me to, to think of a question and knowing I, I'm thinking about my own field and how, you know, I can, I can kind of talk to my clients in a, in a private setting to have these, these individual conversations with people. Um, and I, I think a big part of uh building the rapport is having some type of confidential space where you're meeting privately, you're having these conversations. And I was thinking, because I know with your job, sometimes you can't always meet people in these private spaces. Um, so like, what does it look like for you? How do you end up like talking with athletes, especially say you're, you're on the court, you're in a corridor, you're in the, in the gym somewhere where, you know, there's other ears maybe listening in and how do you have these conversations with people? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all those places, right? And, and the big thing is you want to try to be at, in as many places as the athletes are going to be because that increases your percentage or opportunity to try to get some kind of information or education into them, especially if they deal with a certain situation, like a guy catches a cramp, right? That's an opportunity for you to go over right during that moment, hopefully provide electrolytes or carbs or, or something that's going to get them you know, along with the athletic trainers help with massaging and hopefully get them back on the court quick so they can get back in the game or get back in the practice. But like, if you do something in that moment that benefits that athlete and they see an instant change, or in this case, gets them back on the court, right. That kind of creates buy-in right away. Like, all right, Sean came over, athletic trainer came over. He did this, she did this, got back on the court in five minutes before I was out of the game or before I was off the court for 20 minutes. Right. And that's a, an easy way to get, get them to buy into, to listen to what you have to say. But 
to, to your original question, right? Like in my case where I'm at right now, I may be on the court and maybe in the weight room and maybe in our lounge area where the guys eat. Right. And it could be those quick one, two minute, it could be a little bit longer than that, depending on how, how much time the, uh, the athlete wants to allow you to speak about that. Um, you know, I don't always go right in there and start talking about nutrition. Usually it's, I'm dapping them up, fist bump, you know, whatever kind of works for us, asking how they're doing, you know, ask a couple, you know, short little questions before I throw into like, all right, I have to be a little bit serious now and talk about this. Now I still do have one-on-one time. Like I I have an assessment. I do one-on-ones. They are a little bit longer. Um, We also do have something that's called, um, it was life skills. Now it's called pro habits. Um, We're essentially trying to provide all the different disciplines that would essentially hopefully make our athletes as successful as possible. Right. Um, You know, we have a double certified sports psychologist on staff. You know, we have myself for nutrition, you know, they bring in someone for financial literacy. um, And then there's other parts of our um, company where they're bringing on things for like how to talk in front of media. Right. So trying to essentially prepare them. So if they get drafted or if they go to that next level of professional competition, hopefully we provided them enough skills that they can integrate and know how to function in this other environment, um, or at least teaching them some skills that they, if they don't know what to do, they at least know how to think and problem solve and how to essentially navigate those problems or at the very least worst case scenario, right? Like, all right, I got, I got, I got Sean. I could just text real quick. Hey, I'm at this airport. I got to get food. Like, what do you think would be a good, good thing to do? Right. So levels of, of how to navigate obstacles or problems, like when they're specifically in that moment, rather than having the mindset of, I don't know what to do. So I'm just not going to do it. Like I'm in, I'm in the airport. I'm just going to eat what's good. Right. Or I'm talking to this reporter and I'm just going to say whatever I want and not think of the repercussions. Yeah. Right. So we're hoping this collection of people that we kind of have on staff is, is going to allow us to be able to, provide that to the athletes to be healthy and be as prepared as possible. Right. And that looks good for us as a company, because when they go to a pro level or they talk to somebody, any individual, whether it's an agent, a scout, another player, you know, somebody from a company, right. They all say like, Oh, they came from that spot. And like, for, and consistently we know like what product we're going to get or what type of player, or what type of human we're going to get coming from this place is, is kind of the overall hope there. Right. Absolutely. So tell me, tell me also about how, how, how important do you feel working with an interdisciplinary staff is, right? Oh. I mean, whether it's, whether it's a clinical setting or whether it's like obviously a sports setting, um, I, I think it really doesn't matter what job it is, right? You, you got to be able to work with the people around you, whether you like them or you don't like them, right? Whether tolerable or not tolerable. <laughs> so tell me, you know, how important is it working with other staff and then how do you deal with those situations where there may be staff that are a challenge but you have to essentially collaborate with them regardless the situation sure so with the first question like what 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 are the benefits of working on interdisciplinary team um currently in my own profession i work with nurses um, i work with program aides i work with uh, nurse practitioner or the doctor and having that collaboration between other people and, and getting different insights from different disciplines of how you can 
approach a specific person from different angles and their and their different ideas is great having those resources available to you um now when you find yourself having conflicts you know it can definitely be more troubling and i think it's natural to sometimes have conflict within these disciplines because people are coming from their own mindsets with how people believe they should be fixing something or fixing a problem um you know we may have uh nurses on our end you know thinking you know this is the way what we need to have the change and then counselors in this end saying this is the way we need to change um i think having good communication is always the best avenue through through those difficult times where you're you're really trying to figure out how can i best approach this uh, client with this particular issue um, communication i think is really key uh, having good relationships with your coworkers, and you know on the times when you have down times uh we're not always unprofessional you know having those small conversations with people and you know building rapport even with staff right you know we talked about the importance of building rapport with the clients like having good rapport with your your other coworkers. uh you know if you are happy and you're happy with your team you know that athletes are going to see that as well and you know promote that type of happiness towards them so how do you deal with those staff that are that are that are challenging that, that may that may have a whole totally different mindset from you that you know may not always agree with you like there's there's going to be a place in time right where it's great to have constructive criticism right like be able to accept it both ways be able to have conversations about stuff both ways everyone you know not everyone's going to have the same philosophy as one another but you know i think ultimately is can we come to a common ground but how, how do you deal with those people that they it almost feels like you can't come to that common ground like they're just constantly coming at you with something you're like man can we just agree on something so we can essentially best provide the best possible service to the individuals that we're working with yeah i think you really have to kind of see where they're coming from um you know in, in certain professions you know you may have uh people who are coming from a you know a different expert role than you are and if you find yourself in a conflict you know maybe you have to put yourself in their shoes a little bit and try to understand what perspective they're coming from um, if you find yourself getting upset or angry, you know, with the individual, you might even need to take a second for yourself to step away and, and, and kind of see internally, you know, you know, what is happening with me personally, and, and maybe step away and see, stop looking at it from an external thing, like this is someone else's problem and look at yourself and say, you know, maybe I need to take like a breather and a minute away. Um, it's normal to have those type of conflicts with people, but I think allowing yourself to either one see see where they're coming from in their perspective and then two looking at yourself and trying to identify you know why am i getting upset with this person's advice you know they're also an expert too um what can i take away or maybe we can if we can't come to a common ground we can just agree to disagree or have another third third party come in uh supervisor or another person in another field to try to help delegate and find that common ground because sometimes when two people aren't on the same page having a third party there can help you come to a common solution now, I think those are all really good points too, right? Like there's a lot of times and especially if you're looking at athletics, right? Competition, you know, the, the mood and, and the, the energy can get, be very high at times. And, and sometimes as an athlete, right. And I've been an athlete before. It's like, you don't, sometimes if you just give yourself five to 10 seconds, breathe, think about what's going on in that moment, you can hopefully redirect the action you're going to take before it becomes a reactive reaction. Sure. And then something negative comes out of it. Right. And it could, it could be the same thing when you're talking to your own staff, right? Like the worst thing you want to say is something that's going to now 
break down that relationship that you didn't mean, but in the moment you were angry because of something maybe going on with you outside of anything that they said. And now you just totally blew something out of the water. And it's like, man, this yeah. is not going to end well for me and the environment that I'm in now with, with that coworker, like, is it repairable? It could be a tough question to ask. Right. No, that's why I said, you know, sometimes you have to look at yourself. Like, you know, uh, sometimes you catch people, you know, on their baseline in terms of the anger, you know, they're already up here where most people are down here. And, you know, you could just be going to a conversation. You don't know this person's up here already. Uh, and they get triggered in their anger and they're upset right away over something small. So, you know, being mindful and I think having, having, having the, the mindful attitude of just being aware of your thoughts and where you're coming into a conversation, right? You know, if you already had an upset interaction with someone earlier in the day, you may need to take a moment to yourself before you engage with someone else so you're not exploding on someone else. Yeah, and I got that from, you know, several coaches that I work with, right? Like, you got to bring your best energy, positivity, good body language every time you step into the office or every time you step into a room whatever's going on at home, like you need to keep that at home. Like that doesn't mean there isn't people in your space that you can have a conversation and talk about that. But like, if it's negatively going to affect the athlete, that's going to affect the room. And then that's going to affect everybody else. And then now you may have lost that time or that session because of how you reacted or, or how your body language was that day. Like no one wants to, no athlete who's coming in to get, I don't want to say motivated by you, but like pushed and trained and engaged no one wants to see someone slumping over looking like they're going to like tear their face off <laughs> coming through yeah. the door. I can't tell you how many times I, I preach self-care with my own coworkers. You know, if you're, if you're not doing well yourself, how are you going to provide good care for other people? You know, um, too often you'll see people who are burnt out, who are either jaded or, you know, going in and, and providing what, what isn't their best work. And, you know, I think your own self-care is just as important as the education and kind of philosophy you're teaching other people, right? You know, practice what you preach. If you're telling people or athletes that, you know, they should be doing their best, you should be doing your best too. You know, take care of yourself before you take care of other people. Exactly. And sometimes, it's some, you know, sometimes staff in some areas will joke about it. Like, oh, I'm eating potato chips or like, oh, I got six hours sleep last night. It's like, sure. okay, like you're probably deflecting because you're dealing with issues and you're not doing it as well, but like you saying that around the athletes and if they really respect you may change their opinion or mindset of how they specifically do something. And that's, that's not what we need. So you take care of yourself, or if you're having issues, like you, you, you probably need to get on top of it because if not, it could affect everybody at different levels. Right. Um, go ahead. You're good. Go ahead. Yeah, I think modeling uh, positive behavior so other people can see it is always beneficial, you know, especially just uh, with working with, especially young athletes, you know, uh, they need to see like appropriate behaviors. Like if you model, if you're modeling appropriate behaviors and professionalism, you know, people will look up to that as that's the norm. That's what, that's, that's what I should be doing, right? So, you know, be mindful of like behaviors you're having around athletes because, especially young athletes, because they, they really look up to you and and the behaviors that you're modeling actually are much more meaningful than you think. Yeah. Right. They're very impressionable. Um, and they're looking at that at every level, right? A lot of times, right. What are the pros doing? What are the pros doing? What are the pros doing? All right. Or you, you'll get back like, Oh, I saw the pros did this. So I'm going to do this. And a lot of times I try to tell them like, well, you don't need to compare yourself to be a, you know, a Steph Curry. You don't need to be a Kevin Durant. Like you need to be the best you. 
Yeah. Right. You may, may never be that person or all these people may make all these comparisons about you, but like, can you be the best you, can you be the new best thing coming out like behind your name and who you are and not try to be in the shadow of somebody else? Absolutely. So kind of to wrap this up, I want to ask you one more question. Sure. Um, what's maybe two or three people that you recommend for the people listening to follow, listen to, listen to their podcast, maybe hit them up in their DMs on Instagram or social media or something like that. Like who would be your kind of go-to individuals um, to maybe obtain information that you're talking about, or just that you think that would be really valuable source to, to people in athletics in general? I got two came right to mind. If you really want some, some hard, some great motivation, I think David Goggins is, is, is the guy to go to. Um, everyone listen to David Goggins. I mean, he has a great book as well. Can't hurt me. Uh, fantastic book. You know, I think if you're interested in motivation or, uh, looking for motivation to change and read something inspiring, I think that's a good book to go to or look up his page. He, he posts videos of himself running, giving advice. Uh, I think his wife is usually driving in a car recording him and he's, you know, <laughs> yelling at the camera. They're, they're really good, but he'll, he'll get you going in the morning, right? If you need a little boost of motivation, David Goggins, um, in terms of other advice, you know, we talked a bit about motivational interviewing, you know, if there's practitioners out there, people who are looking to be trained in motivational interviewing, um, they have a great website this up. It's just motivationalinterviewing.org. Uh, there's trainings on there for people to be trained on the approach and to find different trainings to even just begin the initial learning process about that. Um, the original book on motivational interviewing, it came out in the 80s. It still reads fantastic today. Um, a lot of the stuff that's within there is just as good and can be applied today. Yeah. And a little, little know about David Goggins. So if you listen to his audiobook, he has extra parts on there where like after each chapter, he'll like talk about the chapter and the experiences and what he was thinking and what he was going through, like during that moment. So it's like a little extra behind the scenes yeah. moments there. So if you want to listen to that, um, and then any, anything you would recommend for people that are, you know, trying to look or receive mental, mental health services, maybe really quick. Yeah. Just allow yourself to be vulnerable. Um, it's, it's a tough world out there. You know, don't be afraid to ask for help. That's, I think that's the biggest thing, you know, there, there's such a stigma on mental health. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, you know, I, I think the help is out there and it's just a matter of asking. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. Um, open up to others, right? The help is out there. Thanks, Matt. Really appreciate having you on today. So everybody, I'm going to put all of Matt's bio and any of his contact information that he wants to provide. If you want to contact him up, have a, again, organic and real conversation. He's always definitely someone like anybody that I would bring on the contact onto the podcast that's going to be willing to, to have those discussions. Um, again, any of my information is also going to be um, in the show notes as well. If you want to contact me, have a conversation. Um, again, I'm, I'm trying to find as many inspiring and, and high level practitioners as we can, again, to provide that well-rounded approach to our podcast. Thanks, Matt. Thanks.